Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to go inside EMS, and I am your host, Chris Savalera. I want to thank you for joining us, and Pulsera is the proud sponsor of this episode of the Inside EMS podcast. Learn how you can leverage the power of network communication at www.pulsera.com slash EMS. And, uh, you know, I am very excited. I mean, last week we had a little bit of trouble, not only with the hurricane, but also with a little bit of editing challenge, and we couldn't get the show out. But joining me last week and back in the seat to my right again is our international correspondent, Rob Lawrence. Rob, thank you once again for sitting in for Kelly on the Inside EMS podcast. Well, I've never sat in for Kelly. Oh, actually, I have sat in for Kelly, but actually for the last two weeks, I've been you. That's right. So yeah. I'm just flip-flop, no stunt doubling for Kelly. And uh, you have, it's huh? good to be here. But of course, um, sad to be here because for the reasons that Kelly isn't here. And I'm sure yeah. we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, we had Hurricane Laura last week, and it was very, very challenging. Kelly was kind of in the midst of that, and because of that, he had, you know, challenges at, at his work, challenges at his home. I think they're still without electricity, as well as hundreds of thousands other people uh, in uh, Louisiana. Um, you know, he had trouble with uh, water as well, and he just wasn't able to commit as far as making sure that he was available to make this show work. And that's where our international correspondent comes in, Rob. And it's always good to sit and chat with you. And today, you know, I think, Rob, we've got something that's really, really interesting to talk about. You know, last night, and we're, we're recording this on Tuesday of this week, and usually this show comes out on Friday and somewhere along this week, just for some background, uh, we wind up recording the show and we kind of throw it's Friday in there every now and again. But Monday night, uh, CNN had a very, very interesting expose on ketamine, and uh, it was a nine-minute piece if you haven't seen it, and it really kind of talked about the challenges that were going on and the use of ketamine in restraining people who may not need to be restrained. We're given higher doses than normal. You know, the police is being the agitator to say, can't you give this guy something to knock him down? And we're complying with that. And now there's a little bit more of a challenge. But Rob, as we start to dive into this a little bit deeper, this could be a big issue that EMS really has to start to think about and maybe start to curtail. I mean, ketamine is such an amazing drug to use in the field and for it to be abused and maybe for it to be pulled out from under our feet before we have the opportunity to truly use the potential of this amazing drug is going to be a problem. Well, let me just calm you down, Chris, get you off the roof and bring you right back down to the floor because there's a huge danger here. We're going to absolutely conduct a ready fire aim, right? And uh, we don't like, you and I were trained to ready aim fire. So let's just go back a second and make sure that we understand the size and the complexity of this issue. Uh, we understand what the data is. Um, we've discussed over the past few weeks the thing that we don't have, which is bi-directional data flow. We don't have that information. We don't have RAPCR connected to any other HIE or any other system or device with which we can get the outcome from what we initiated in the field. And until we can actually do that, we can't end up tarring everybody with the same brush. It's actually, in a way, you know, we, we've we've had a lot of fingers pointed at the police departments and individual police officers and of course you know you've you've lived this in your previous life as a chief 
where you know the actions of one therefore are assumed to be the actions of everybody and so we have to be very careful in a how we formally respond to this but more importantly data is actually everything here because what is the size and scope of the problem is it one individual one city one state or one country but the trouble is we don't know and we and i think we just have to take a step back calm down and actually come up with a with a solution that has some evidence and has some weight of evidence behind it and of course we now have you know large organizations that capture epcrs at least you know maybe we should be looking at them to say well what's the story morning glory you know so uh, i'm you know it, it is definitely the story of the week i don't disagree with that but always there's always a backstory and we just have to be very very careful because what will happen is you know we talked we've had months of you know, weeks i don't know how many however many of defund the police right it's a knee-jerk potentially against the actions of one tarring the the the, the effect on many we have the same situation here where we just have to just slow down a bit and we have to understand what happened why it happened clinically and i'll come on to morally in a second before we take any major steps that may well uh, deny the next patient that life-saving treatment yeah and i think you bring up some really great points and certainly my my animation and my uh, excitement is really based on you know, being from Brooklyn, people. right? Exactly, being yeah. fired up. I'm actually <laughs> from Queens, but we people from oh. Queens don't like to be compared to Brooklyn. Just like Sorry. Uh, I'm sure people from England don't like to be compared to Scotland. But uh, but anyway, so let's uh, you know when we think about this uh, from the standpoint of this news article that was on CNN, and go ahead and check it out. And basically, there were two individuals, the tales of two individuals, uh, and one individual uh, was uh, thought to allegedly be uh, under the influence of some type of drug and uh, started to get a little bit rambunctious. They used the term, you know, excited delirium. And, you know, we've been treating excited delirium for a long time. And we had to kind of get used to excited delirium when we were giving medication because we didn't want to, you know, throw that out of balance. Uh, and then there was a second case uh, in another state where they uh, had the same thing, where they said somebody uh, was on a, allegedly on a specific drug or some type of drug that made them stronger. And was there something the police suggested? Was there something that they could uh, give that would calm them down? Come to find out uh, that patient wasn't on anything uh, illicit. And subsequently, they did pass away from that encounter, whether it was from the administration of the medication. You know, but here's my, here's my challenge with this, Rob. I agree with you 100%. And as a leader, we know that we've got to be able to get the data we need, not only to, you know, give us the opportunity to make sure that the treatments that we're doing are effective and that the outcomes are what we want them to be. But number two is that we can kind of combat these types of things that are happening, uh, you know, the one-offs, as you mentioned. But, but the challenge is this. When you start to get politicians now who are on the side of the bandwagon to say, oh, my gosh, this is the next big thing. We got to take out of the hands of the paramedics. We now enter a challenge that it's only before this bandwagon gets to be filled that other people are making decisions for us. And we don't get to make the decisions for our own career field. And that's what scares me about this. Right, which is why we have to be very careful about how we respond to this. That, you know, this is not for us a political issue. It's a clinical issue. 
and we must understand was the treatment given appropriate and then something else went wrong and of course that will come out in the investigation um but also we need to think about you know some of the sort of moral dilemmas that this presents and i actually researched and i'm going to read this because i i'm sure i could talk, give you a paraphrase but what is ex let's discuss what excited delirium is okay here's the definition excited delirium 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 Delirium. I'm sure you'll cut that bit out. Delirium, Tomate, delirium. Tomato, delirium. tomato. tomato uh, delirium. Tomato. Excited delirium is a rare medical emergency in which a person develops extreme agitation, aggressiveness, overheating, and exceptional strength that cannot be managed by routine physical or medical techniques. Excited delirium, patients lose their mental capacity to stop resisting and are truly out of control. This type of extreme exertion may result in sudden death. So it's rare but it's extreme and so what the, the first thing we have to think about is sometimes we're trying to as you would say on this side of the pond armchair quarterback the situation gosh going about body on cameras for medics for that is that we can indeed see what the treatment is and the circumstances that led up to the treatment in the same way that we have body worn cameras for police officers and indeed drive cameras on ambulances we can see the behavior of others and so there's perhaps that there um, of course, the other, the other one, and I'm sure we'll agree this, is, this has happened on the streets, is that the, the kind of, A, it's the hospital or jail discussion that starts off, you know, and everybody's been there when that's occurred. And then this kind of, you know, can you just give him one, give him one to calm him down, which is more of a, you know, a, a observation by a person about the behaviour of another as opposed to the clinical indicator that would say this person is ready for administration of ketamine. But every one of those circumstances and situations is very very different and so we have to be careful how we judge both on the individual case level but also in this aggregated political conundrum that we've all of a sudden walked into with this drug yeah and i think you bring up some really good points and you know we've been we've been along this path of treating excited delirium for for over a decade i mean i can remember back when i was at medstar before i left in 2010 we were putting protocols in place with uh the use of ativan um way back uh maybe 20 you know uh, 2008 so we've we've been doing this for a bit and, and here's the question i want to pose to you i mean you're an ems leader as well rob and so when we think about this from the standpoint of excited delirium why are we jumping right into this paralytic that's oh, not a paralytic, but, you know, this anesthetic that, that are used in surgeries to knock people out? And why aren't we sticking to the things that we were using in the beginning, the Valium and, and the Ativan? And now all of a sudden we're jumping to this, this drug that should be used really instead of a paralytic. We don't need the succinylcholine. We don't need the, uh, you know, the uh, other agents. You know, we were using Atomidate. Now we have ketamine. I mean, these are really the next level drugs that we should be using in these, these airway management cases, but not where we're having to maybe take the edge off someone because they're being a little bit more rowdy. Well, I come back to my first point, and I will continue to come back to my first point, that you know, when you say we're always, we're not always because we don't know if we are. And so I, I'm going to call you out on that because I think that's a key point to addressing this in a uh, logical and a research-based manner. But to your question, I think you know it's it's interesting. We're we're going we're going for the big gun, and we don't know how many times, but we are. And so each each issue is individual. Now I actually went back to to your point. I went back into went and found the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environments. 
uh, waiver guidance because of course a lot of this the, the story is about well there's a waiver that says we, we waive the waiver and you can give this for excited delirium and that was actually established in 2013 so you're right it's been around a while we've been doing it a while why hasn't this been in the news before has there been a serious issue such as this before there could have been i don't know but oh, but it is right now um which of course you have to wonder is there is there that some some of those things beginning with p involved in this uh, given the, the year it is but that said it was established to protect the, both the patient and the provider so it's out there to be used in accordance with the protocol or the waiver that's out there uh, but every case is individual now you know de dependent on the patient's condition perhaps even before we reach for the drug box what about CIT what about crisis intervention what about de-escalation what about going from 10 down a 10 to a one or a five or a four or a three so you know there's other tools in the toolbox that we should be thinking about before we even pull out the drug and that's something else that uh, you know the other big thing of the week for me not only has it been the ketamine story but actually it's also one of behavioral health because i always and you know this i always go on about we've got to be public health aficionados because of the lockdown and when you start looking at nemesis data about the amount of crisis calls that have come in we've got to be good at the behavioral health stuff as well and of course we do this every day every day every night on the streets but we've got to start thinking about how we're going to work to reduce and to assist with the management of crisis and also assist in the reduction of crisis and so it's a it's a you know this all comes under the behavioral health mantra this is you know more bh than ph right now um and so you know there should be a sliding scale of how we deal with this stuff and it starts with let's try and talk them down before we use the tranquilizer dart you know what i mean no, and I think you're right, and uh, I do have a follow-up to that, but before we do that, Pulsara is the only FirstNet-listed mobile telehealth and communication network that connects teams across organizations. It's free to EMS and receiving facilities. Pulsara One unites teams seamlessly on a single patient channel, replacing the radio report with features like live video calls, ECG, image uploads, audio, data, and key benchmarks. Pulsara United includes enhanced features built to help your EMS agency provide an expanded scope of practice, such as mobile integrated health and community paramedicine. Regardless of which package is right for you, Pulsara makes communicating with healthcare facilities in your region easy. Simply create a dedicated patient channel, build your team, and communicate. For more information, visit pulsara.com slash EMS. That's P-U-L-S-A-R-A dot com slash EMS. You know, Rob, one of the questions that I want to ask you now is, is, is you've done a good job now of keeping your finger on the pulse of what's happening, what's happening nationally, right? What's happening right. at the federal levels. So from, from the, the, the weeds, from the EMS standpoint, what do we need to do in this, in this situation right now when it comes to this, this call? Because i got to tell you, this morning uh, on my way to work, people are calling me to say, did you see the CNN thing? Oh, my gosh, th th this is horrible, and, and, and look what's going on. I can't believe. And, and again, my, my comment was, all right, well, we, we've known about this. I'm, I'm not hearing about this for the first time. You're hearing about this for the first time. But now as EMS providers, as EMS leaders, what do we do in this environment to kind of help this situation? Well, I think the first thing that's going to happen, and this is probably a no-brainer, that people are going to go back and review their protocols, first of all. 
um, people are going to then go back and assess what they have done locally to assist with um, with subduing, suppressing, um, you know, looking after the patient. Uh, that's probably going to be the second thing to make sure that, you know, there isn't an issue we need to address because we don't know if we have an issue we need to address at the moment because we're reacting to one story. Um, and by the way, I just have to say that the Adams County coroner in that particular case could not determine the cause or manner of death, saying that the ketamine level in his blood was at a therapeutic level, but that an unexpected adver ad adverse reaction to the drug couldn't be ruled out. So it wasn't an excessive dosage. So, you know, that, that's, that's something else that has to be taken into the grand mix of things. But the layperson, just, the layperson may not know that. I mean, right. So it's right. great to hear. It's right. great to hear that. But yeah. when you hear, when you hear stories like that, that are happening on the, the national news, you know, one plus one equals two. And I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 no. That's quite all right. That's quite all right. If the debate is healthy, let it, let it get louder. That's what I say. Um, but no, I think that you know organisations should just look at their own data and information and, work, and make sure that they are operating within either guidelines or waivers that exist for them. Now, not every EMS agency uses ketamine, by the way. So whatever paralytic of choice you're using, that should also be, be examined. But again, we do that to understand our own practice because it's actually a function of QAQI. You know, most certainly when, you know, when we used to have a cardiac arrest, that would immediately go into QAQI. If we had some sort of, you know, uh, response to pick a type of trauma, that would immediately go into the QAQI process for, you know, and, and obviously coming from large agencies where you're dealing with tens of thousands of records, of course, you have to select those uh, those types of call that immediately get QAQI versus a random pull on the rest. But I would imagine that that, Type of that type of administration is going to attract some sort of detailed analysis, QAQI, up to the medical director peer review, whatever you want to call it. So, but I suspect those things, because of the type of administration of, of ketamine, particularly, I suspect those things are going on in most agencies anyway, because it's not an everyday. We're not out there with ketamine belt-fed, you know, syringes, right? We're out there. This is a one-off, and so therefore, I would hope that it can be reviewed individually by each agency as it occurs uh but again you know I, I just don't want us to ready fire aim on this issue no i think you're absolutely right and we've got to be able to to look at these things as they're happening and to make the determination how best to move forward but let's go ahead and switch gears a little bit rob you know you and i uh we spent a lot of time last week and our show that we did last week that didn't come out very well yeah. was uh, that of, uh, you know, we talked about the hurricane, we were talking about preparation, and then we kind of segued as well into the challenges that are going on with uh, Out Your Way, which is those fires that are engulfed. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you said, which I've been repeating ever since you've said it, <laughs> was the size of the fires that are going on in California is the size of the city of Nashville. And, yes, you know, yes. which is, which was pretty amazing. But, you know, when we think about this from an EMS standpoint, you know, we turn around and all of a sudden there's a tornado or we turn around and in three days we're going to get hit with a hurricane. And, you know, now we've got fires that are going on from a natural disaster side. It, it seems that these are the things that sneak up on us and we really have to prepare at the 11th hour for, I mean, what's the best practice here? Well, let me tell you a little story. A few years ago, we went as an entire EOC up to Emmitsburg, Maryland, to the National Emergency Management Institute, where you, and, and if you haven't done this as an, as an EOC 
or a collective body of emergency managers, incident management team, whatever you should do, because you get locked into this, this, that they've got a, actually a, an EOC up yeah. there and they have the entire kind of gambit of every, uh, every position. They have a staff that's sitting behind the scenes, even down to the guy that does the TV weather and it's projected in front of you. And in that week you go through active shooters, hurricanes, tornadoes, wildfires, earthquakes and it just goes on and goes on and goes on and you know you think this will never happen for real <laughs> guess what this last week has been like one of those exercises out of the out of the national emergency management institute it's been one thing after another after another after another and you know the whole mims process actually when 9-11 came along and we were looking for a way to standardize our emergency processes practices and procedures and techniques what do we do? We looked at actually the wildland firefighters out here, Arizona, California, etc. And went, actually, these guys have their PCs consolidated here. Let's actually use what they're doing. And of course, it's going on here that the two fires we talked about, the two complexes up in the San Francisco Bay Area. One is Santa, over in Santa Cruz, and the other one is in the sort of in hinterland in the Livermore, Dublin, Pleasanton area. Which again, is to if you look at San Francisco Bay, look to the right, everything to the right of the bay. Is, uh, is that area. And yeah, we're talking 350, 60,000 acres. And I had to Google, you know, dear Google, tell me what that means in reality. Yeah, it's somewhere that, imagine a umpteen alarm fire across the whole of the expanse of the city of Nashville, LA, San Antonio. I, I worked out those three areas had the same footprint as the fires that are going on. We're seeing the, 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 those two fires, those two complex fires, are the second and third largest fires in California history. It's unbelievable. Also, we we came on this morning. Sixty thousand people in the fire zones around California are currently displaced. That's a major public health, a major uh, you know social service, and a major EMS issue. Particularly if we're doing as we had to do, evacuate care homes. You know, the, the provision of oxygen, power is out. Kelly, power is out. Kelly's not here because he ain't got no power. Um, and uh, we know he's managed to source a generator from somewhere. But uh, again, those issues are ones that, you know, we trained for, or I hope we trained for, and now we're delivering live because 2028 ain't over yet. So something else is going to happen, right? Yeah, we're in the final stretch of this, and hopefully uh, we're going to start uh, kissing four-leaf clovers, and, you know, we're getting our rabbit's foots and, and uh, feet or foots or whatever you want to say, and Pussies. hopefully 2021 20, is going to change uh, what, 2021, what 2020 started for us. But one of the things that I don't think we do well enough, and I think that this was really a good topic to kind of end on, is the fact that we've got to be able, when things are happening in other areas, now, is, is Iowa going to get? Uh, a hurricane? No, but they can get a really, really bad storms and floodings. And we've seen those pictures of, of uh, you know, those rivers that have crested and, you know, kind of flooded. And one of the things that we need to do as a best practice is we need to be able to watch what happens in the United States. If it's a hurricane, watch how people are preparing. And you know what? Develop that preparation as well. If it's a tornado that happens, you know, we need to be able to go to our table with our leaders and our workforce and say, we need to develop a plan on tornado. 
tornado. We need to be able to develop the plan on active shooters. We need to be able to develop the plan on wildfires. Now, are we going to get wildfires in, you know, in, in Minnesota like we do in California? No. But how about a whole block? How about a whole city block or a whole neighborhood that could be as part of that process? And I don't think that we do that enough. I think that we're saying a lot of times we're taking the, the stance of saying, that's oh, not going to happen here. We don't have to worry about that. Um, I think I, I'm going to disagree with you because disagreement equals great debate, Chris. But uh, I think the, the role of emergency managers has gone from, you know, old Fred that was about to retire becomes the emergency manager to some very young, I can't, can I say that on the show, some, some smart people. That have, you know, this is now a graduate status, master's level occupation in emergency management. And so it's become a very professional uh, career field in its own right. And so, therefore, there are people that are looking to be prepared. Um, you know, the all hazards incident management approach is now very much a thing. Uh, each region has uh, incident management teams or all hazard incident management teams. And so it's grown. And certainly in my time here in the U.S., it's become a big thing and getting bigger and you know we know the, you know we're all amateur meteorologists we're now trained to look at the the atlantic map off off the senegal coast to work out which high is about to turn into a spaghetti track that's about to turn into a hurricane in wherever so you know we've become better at it so i disagree slightly we've become we've become better at it it's become more professional uh but of course the key thing is to make sure all your plans are constantly dusted off and ready to go because as Eisenhower said, failing to plan is planning to fail. No, that's a great quote. And, uh, you know, I just got to say, I, I appreciate the healthy debate. I appreciate the way that you uh, disagree with me. If that was Kelly, we'd be uh, at each other's throat there for a few <laughs> minutes before. But you've done it very gentlemanly. It was, uh, it was the Marcus of Queensbury rules. So it, it, was, a lot, <laughs> it was a lot easier to uh, hear that disagreement. But uh, I think that that's what's great about the show is that we get to do that. But, yeah. you know, Rob, uh, go ahead. And as we get ready to finish up here, give me your final thoughts on the show. And uh, maybe a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, uh, some information or tips to the people who are listening on the things we covered today. I think, firstly, that uh, failing to plan is planning to fail, um, you know, and uh, that, that's something that's, that's very, very true. I think in terms of the ketamine issue, let's just slow down a bit. Let's get hold of the data. We are in an organization that is awash with information. This is one of those times we've got to pull it out of the hat and present it and present it elegantly and professionally so you know to everyone that's in control of this let's just uh, let's just do that and i know they are they are doing that as we speak i'm absolutely sure but uh, we have to be prepared for that in terms of preparedness uh, it's all about preparedness the ketamine is about preparing making sure you've got your practice protocols and procedures ready preparing for a disaster is to make sure that we've exercised it we trained it and, and we're ready for the day that it happens because we can see the hurricane coming. We don't see the earthquake or the, uh, the tornado. Well, the tornado, we get a little bit of notice, but the earthquake, we don't. So uh, and I said that and I, I live in California, so I'm just making sure the earth is still running before I move again. So as, as, as the Boy Scouts would say, be prepared. And I think that that's a great way to end. And I want to thank you for joining us. If you're not a fan of Rob, go ahead and check him out on the EMS1 Stop. EMS One Stop. And of course, you can find me on Twitter at UK Rob L, which is also my car license plate. There you go. 
All right, now we know we could go ahead and steal his car if we want to do that as well. But everybody out there, I want to thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Again, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, go ahead and email us at the show at ems1.com. I want to thank our international correspondent, Rob Lawrence, for joining us. For Kelly Grayson, I'm Chris Sabalero. We look forward to chatting with everyone again next week.